Okay, uh, thank you very much to the moderator um, for introducing me. Yes, basically my name is uh, Mohamed Allo. Uh, I'm a cardiologist in Toledo, Ohio. I was born and raised in Toledo, Ohio. Um, I ended up going to the University of Toledo, getting my business degree there, um, undergrad degree in economics. Um, I want to thank Mercy and Toledo Cardiology for inviting me uh, to speak at these events. You guys have uh, great weather out here, by the way. I wish we had this in the Midwest. Um, but basically today, we're going to talk about things that make you bleed. Um, a lot of times as a cardiologist, I feel like my job is to make people bleed. Um, you know, people send patients to us uh, because they had a heart attack or a stroke or they have a fib or a DVT or a PE. And then in turn, it's my job to find the right combination of medications uh, to make them bleed uh, and not die. Um, although bleeding sounds bad, it actually... Uh, saves lives so that's basically what we're here to talk about today um, objectives basically we want to understand bleeding there's two types of bleeding we want to introduce all the new anticoagulants we want to go over all the old ones there's antiplatelet agents versus anticoagulation we want to talk about the mechanisms of action the indications the elimination and reversal of these agents um, and then we'll answer questions from the audience but let's try to keep this informal if you have a question while I'm talking um, please feel free to raise your hand. So let's talk about bleeding. Um, in internal medicine, if any of you guys have read Harrison's, you know, the, the Bible of internal medicine, um, go to the bleeding chapter. There's this gigantic uh, section on bleeding. There's two type of bleeding, um, two types, one called factor bleeding and one called platelet bleeding. Factor bleeding are deep bleeds. These are like hematomas or hemarthrosis. You know, when you bleed into your joints or you got a big bruise or like a big Charlie horse in a muscle. Um, some types of spontaneous retroperitoneal bleeds also count uh, as factor bleeding, um, but that's more rare. Um, the rest of the bleeds are all platelet bleeding, whether it's a GI bleed, an intracranial hemorrhage, a vaginal bleed, a nose bleed, skin cuts, surgical wounds, incisions, you know, bleeding in your eyes and, re and uh, vitreous bleeds. All of those, all the rest of them are platelet bleeding, and obviously the various drugs uh, affect these two cascades uh, in different ways, and that's what we're here to talk about. So take a look at this slide here. Basically, let's start over here at the antiplatelets. Um, these are indicated for acute coronary syndromes, coronary artery disease, peripheral artery disease, CVA, um, lots of indications. Aspirin is the very first one. Does anybody know where aspirin came from? Yeah. Right, it's salicylic acid. But where did salicylate or salicylic acid come from? Okay, good. It's, it's oil of wintergreen, um, and it came from the bark of a willow tree. Uh, back in the old days, I guess if you had a tummy ache or you didn't feel right, they'd give you a piece of bark to chew on, and you'd go sit in a corner and chew on it, and you'd, you'd absorb all the salicylic acid, and then uh, your pain would go away. Um, so that's kind of where aspirin came from. And I, and I tell a lot of my patients, almost all the drugs that we have come from nature. Um, they are all natural substances, and they came from somewhere. Um, anybody know what, where lisinopril came from? How many, of you, how many of you guys obviously prescribe lisinopril? Almost everybody. Okay, good. A lot of primary care uh, practitioners in the audience. This is obviously a primary care review, so that's why. Um, but where does lisinopril come from? Anyone know? It's a completely natural substance. Uh, no, not clover. That's a different medicine that we'll talk about. Okay, so it comes from viper venom. 
Yes, snake venom. When a viper snake bites you, it injects a bunch of ACE inhibitor into you or enalapril or lisinopril, whichever one. Um, and then you get so hypotensive that your organs stop perfusing and then you die. Um, so we found a way to purify that substance. Um, where do statins come from? Good. Red yeast rice. We, that's lovastatin, um, but it comes from nature. And obviously fish oil, we've turned it into lovaza or... or uh, Right, Lovaza. Where, where does Coumadin come from, since we're going to be talking about it? No. Not yellow clover. Not red clover. <laughs> no, it comes from the sweet clover plant. It comes from sweet clover. Right. Yes, it... Right. Yeah, it's it is rat poison, but they discovered it from sweet clover. They they that's where the coumadin comes from. Um, they took the sweet clover, made it made it taste good. Rats ate it. They bled internally and they died. Um, so that's where sweet clover comes. I always tell my patients if you want something natural or a supplement or something herbal, almost all drugs come from somewhere in nature. I mean that's kind of where we we invented them from. Um, and I tell my patients don't don't go out and buy. Uh, supplements. I mean, some of them work, some of them don't. But if it worked, we would have turned it into a medication, um, like aspirin, like statins, like Coumadin. You know, if if something worked, um, we would have gone ahead and got it approved, and some billion-dollar pharmaceutical company would be making lots and lots of money off of it. So, I always try to tell my patients that you know most of these drugs do come from nature. So back to antiplatelets. Um, we had aspirin. There was a few other ones that got taken off the market for various reasons. But then clopidogrel, Plavix is still here. It's generic now. Pletal has been around forever. It's generic. Prazagril um, came to market just slightly before Ticagalor, uh, which is Berlinta. Um, of all of these, the ones we really use the most are aspirin and Plavix. PAD, peripheral disease, a lot of celastis all being used. Um, Prazagril, we try to avoid generally. It didn't really show benefit except in a few subgroup analyses. Um, Ticagalor is excellent. Um, it's Berlinta. We use that uh, quite often. It's indicated in a lot of different things. Um, on the other side, so these are all platelet bleeding. If you go back to the first slide, platelet bleeding, these affect platelets. Um, anybody know the half-life of a platelet? Not 120 days. That's a red blood cell. 7 to 10 days. Right. It's 7 to 10 days. So platelets, 7 to 10 days. Um, we'll talk about how reversible or irreversible these are in their effects on platelets when we get into them. Um, next group of anticoagulants are basically indicated in AFib, DVT, uh, PE, um, and some some valves. All right, not not all of these though, so be careful. Um, some of them are indicated in valve disease as well. Um, so the first one that came to market was dabigatran or Pradaxa. It's a direct thrombin inhibitor. Works completely different than the rest of them. Um, Coumadin, you know, we talked about it. It's been around forever. It's a vitamin K antagonist. You know what the vitamin K cofactors are? I know this is going way back in medical school textbooks. 10, 9, 7, 2, C, and S. Right, so if you look at the coagulation cascade, and I know nobody wants to look at that, <laughs> but if you look at it, it it's... Um, 10972 uh, CNS. I just remember 1972 and then CNS or 10972. Um, and then recently, what came to market is these newer drugs called there, there's Rivaroxaban, which uh, hit the market first, then Apixaban, then Adoxaban. And they all are fairly similar with you know a few 
um, minor differences and we'll, we'll get into that. Um, any questions up until this point? No. No, we'll get into that. Just, yep. Okay, so let's go on to antiplatelets. Um, the first one, obviously, is aspirin. It is irreversible. When it binds a platelet, it does not come off. It is indicated in a lot of things, um, acute coronary syndrome, PAD, CVA, and AFib. Although it's indicated in AFib, uh, all the studies we've done show that it does not actually prevent cardiothromboembolic uh, CVA in AFib. So if a patient has AFib and you want to protect them, they really need to be on something else, which we'll get into. Um, the next one is clopidogrel, which is Plavix. It's also irreversible. Somewhere around 2011, it became generic. Um, it's also been indicated in PAD, CVA, um, almost any ACS, whether it's STEMI, non-STEMI. Um, it was recently downgraded in the guidelines somewhere around 2000. I'd say 14 or 15 maybe, but then now recently new studies out of Europe have shown that it actually is very beneficial still um, in ACS, especially stented patients, patients who've had cabbage or bypass. So it's kind of gone coming back into favor now, especially since it's cheap and generic. Silastazole or Pletal uh, is an excellent medication as well. It also has a nice function that it's also a vasodilator. Um, it actually causes your uh, arteries in your legs, especially peripheral arteries, to vasodilate. Um, it also has some, some anti-neoangiogenic effects. So if we put a stent in your femoral artery or your popliteal, it prevents from overgrowth of those arteries to clog that back up. It's indicated, obviously, in peripheral artery disease, uh, CVA, but not in acute coronary syndrome or coronary artery disease. So keep that in mind. It's indicating a lot of other things, um, not a whole lot of them cardiac. Um, Prazagril is effient. It is irreversible. Um, it can only be given at the time of stent or if a STEMI is going to the cath lab. Unlike uh, the next one or unlike Plavix, it cannot be given in any ACS. It has to be at the time of stent or if you are going uh, to the cath lab. Not indicated in non-STEMIs or unstable angina. Ticagalor, very similar to Plavix. It's indicated in any ACS, unstable angina, and STEMI, non-STEMI, uh, STEMI, you know, all that stuff. Um, it is indicated in, in, in coronary artery disease. Um, it is reversible, however. It, Berlinta, the one advantage it has is that it is reversible. Now, it takes a while uh, to come off the platelets, but it is reversible, which is nice. So next slide. Wait, any questions on that? Okay, good. So aspirin, where does it come from? We kind of already answered this. It comes from willow tree bark. Um, aspirin usually indicated about 160 to 325 milligram bolus, depending on what country you live in, and then 81 to 161 milligrams per day. Um, started as soon as possible, then you pretty much stay on it indefinitely. The ISIS-2 trial showed a 23% relative risk reduction um, in events. The irreversible inhibition of cyclooxygenase, and you can read this, uh, in platelets blocking formation of thromboxane A2 and platelet aggregation in acute MI, aspirin reduced the risk of death by 20 to 25 percent. In unstable angina, aspirin reduced the risk of fatal or non-fatal of MI by 71 percent during the acute phase, and another 60 percent at three months and 52 percent at two years. So aspirin is an incredible drug, and we try not to ever stop it. Uh, if we don't have to. In fact, we tell almost anybody over the age of 50 to take it, especially if you're diabetic, hypertensive, obese, and a smoker, and have some other risk factors. Um, it's an excellent medication. In fact, the combination of medications that we put people on after uh, a heart attack with the aspirin or the dual antiplatelet therapy, including aspirin or Plavix or Berlinta, whichever one it is, uh, plus the ACE inhibitor, plus the beta blocker, 
Um, plus the high-dose cholesterol statins um, reduces mortality 94%. That's just incredible. 94% reduction in mortality with that combination of five medications. Um, next is clopidogrel. This is Plavix. They usually load with 300 or 600. They tried 1,200 for a while as well. Um, then you get 75 milligrams a day if PCI is planned. If no PCI is planned, you continue for one to nine months um, as just like medical therapy. If cabbage is planned, some visit, some cardiothoracic surgeons want you to hold the plavix, some will do it. It just kind of depends on where you are. Um, but once they've had the cabbage, um, please resume it. it. It's as if you got stented. You still need it for about another year. Um, the Cure and Capri trial showed an 8.7% relative risk reduction um, with aspirin and Plavix compared to aspirin alone. Um, recently downgrading, downgrading the guidelines due to Tacagalor superiority um, ACS, but it looks like it's making a comeback. Some newer studies and trials have looked at it slightly differently that are not uh, funded by pharmaceuticals, and it looks like it's making a comeback. Um, the reason we load people with uh, Plavix is because it's a pro-drug. It takes about four or five hours to kind of kick in. You get about 68% platelet uh, blockade in about four hours. It has to go to your liver um, and be activated because it is a pro-drug. Celastazole or Pletal, indicated, like I said, peripheral heart disease, TIAs, a vasodilator, antiplatelet, antineogenic, antineoangiogenic effects, which prevents you from you know, closing off those arteries that we just stented or opened in your legs. Um, it does have headaches as a side effect because of some of that uh, vasodilator properties. Also has some GI side effects. It has a 12-hour half-life, hence it's dosed twice a day. Um, the next one is Prazagril. You know, this when this kind of came out, there's a, there was a huge article in the um, New England Journal talking about it causes more fatal GI bleeds than major adverse cardiac events that it prevents. Um, so it was kind of a non-starter. Also, you really had to do a subgroup analysis uh, to find any benefit uh, of Prazagril over aspirin and Plavix. And whenever you have to do a subgroup analysis to find any benefit, it means the drug is pretty worthless. Um, there was a slight trend to benefit uh, among diabetic patients. Otherwise, the rest really didn't benefit uh, more than, than Plavix. So if you put them on aspirin and Plavix, or aspirin and prazagrel, there's really no difference. You're just paying for a very expensive drug. Anyways, back to this, it's indicating coronary artery disease as well as ACS and only in STEMI, not in non-STEMI and not in unstable angina. Um, and if it's in non-STEMI, it is if they get a stent, then they get it. It is irreversible. It's not as effective as Ticagalor or Berlinta. Um, like I said, more fatal GI bleeds. Um, they, they said that for every one major adverse cardiac event that was prevented, and that's just an event that was prevented, like a stroke or a heart attack, um, you caused two fatal, fatal GI bleeds. That means death. Two people died. Um, you cannot take it if you're over 75 years of age or weigh less than 60 kilos and you've had a prior CVA. Um, there's no benefit. Actually, there's more harm, so you got to avoid use. It's actually contraindicated. Like I said, they had to do a subgroup analysis to find any benefit um, which usually means the drug is not very good. Um, and there are much better options out there. So we try to uh, avoid this drug as much as possible. Now, of course, you're going to still see it out there. It's equivalent to aspirin and Plavix, aspirin and Prazagril, 
but it's expensive and it really didn't show any benefit so we try to avoid it um tagagalor's berlinta now this is a brilliant drug uh, I'm not sure if that's why they call it that. They've had it in Europe for the longest time. We've been waiting in the United States for a long time to get it going. I think in about 2012 is when it got approved here. It's indicated in all forms of ACS, STEMI, non-STEMI, unstable angina. It's indicated for CVA, coronary artery disease. has a very rapid onset of action, which is really nice. In 20 minutes, um, you have 78% platelet blockade versus four hours with Plavix, which gets you to 68%. Uh, platelet blockade um, there is this like dyspnea wheezing that's the most common side effect but this comes with even plavix um, and other um, ADP blocking uh, um, antiplatelet agents um, but the, the wheezing um, and dyspnea that comes with it usually goes away um, and, and if the patients just ignore it or kind of leave it alone um, it, it doesn't end up being a problem, but usually we end up switching uh, if they have that and it's really bothersome. Um, it is reversible, which is really nice. It acts fast and stops working faster than Plavix, aspirin, and Effiant. Um, the only caveat is you have to use a lower dose uh, of aspirin. And we'll talk about how long you have to hold these medications before surgery in a little bit here. Um, but it's an excellent drug. Like I said, it, it has excellent outcomes. 22% relative risk reduction compared to aspirin and Plavix. So um, we, we like to use this a lot. Plus it can be given right away. A patient comes in and says, ouch, I have chest pain. You know, troponin is slightly elevated. You know, you're planning on cathing them the next day uh, or that same day, whichever it is. You can put them on Ticagalore uh, without a problem. There's a loading dose. It's 180 milligrams. Then you end up on 90 a day. Vitamin K antagonist, there's only one. It's Coumadin. Um, where does that come from? Do you guys remember? Yep, sweet clover. Perfect. Um, it blocks the K-dependent cofactors, which we talked about. Um, antibiotics and green vegetables throw off the levels. Now, green vegetables is obvious. Dark green vegetables have vitamin K in them. Um, but how do antibiotics throw off the levels? Anybody know? Any wild guesses? Okay, so vitamin K is made in your intestines by the bacteria in your intestines. So if you take antibiotics and knock out the bacteria in your intestines, um, you're going to see a reduction in your vitamin K levels. There are a lot of drug reactions with uh, Coumadin. That's the problem. Um, and a lot of them are cardiac, unfortunately. Digoxin, Coreg, Metoprolol, Isinopril, Lasix, Lipitor, Aspirin, Metformin, Synthroid, Simvastatin, Amiodarone, and the, and the list goes on. These are just the major ones. Um, the nice thing about Coumadin, it is quite easy to reverse. Do you guys know how to reverse it? So try to think of how we reverse these um, as we kind of go along with each drug. We'll get into the reversal uh, later. So the next one is a thrombin inhibitor. Um, this was the first kind of technically NOAC or new oral anticoagulant to come to market. It was called the Bigatran, and it still is obviously. It's called the Bigatran. It's 150 BID. It's a direct thrombin inhibitor. It's the only one that blocks thrombin uh, directly, which is factor 2A, obviously, activated factor 2. Um, it is indicated in DVT, PE, and AFib. Um, there is a renal dose, if necessary, 75 milligrams twice a day if your creatinine clearance is, is down there. You know, it's pretty low, 15 to 30. There's really no food interactions. It's 85% renally cleared, um, so that's kind of uh, a nice feature. Um, it can be eliminated by hemodialysis. It's not protein-bound, so dialysis can get rid of dibigatran. Um, there is now something called praxabind, kind of like digibind. 
if somebody overdoses on digoxin, you give them digibind and you can get it out. Praxibind is kind of like that. You give it to them. Um, it, it, by an autoimmune uh, function, it binds all the dabigatran and gets it out. Um, the drugs that it uh, interacts with, verapamil, amio, ketoconazole, dronetadrone, um, those medications increase its effectiveness. That means they make it, you're more likely to bleed if you're taking one of those. Rifampin decreases effectiveness. Um, the most common side effect and the most common reason why people quit taking this drug, about 14% of the people um, get this side effect uh, that were in the trials, is actually um, stomach pain or dyspepsia. They get this really weird kind of uh, stomach pain. Um, that's one reason why in the beginning we had to take people off of it. Um, the next group of drugs are, are called factor 10A inhibitors. These are basically oral... Wait, any questions on that? I thought I saw a hand up. Okay, good. So these are basically oral Lovenox. So just think of these as Lovenox. They're factor 10A inhibitors. Um, the first one to come to market is Xarelto or Rivaroxaban. It is nice because it's once a day. Uh, Apixaban is Eliquis. It's twice a day. Edoxaban is Cerveza. Um, it is once a day, uh, but only can take it if your GFR is less than 95. Um, but it, but even as low as 15 is okay. Um, so if your kidneys work really well and your GFR is high, you cannot take this medication. Um, it's contraindicated because it doesn't work. Um, it is. They are all indicated, obviously, in AFib, PE, DVT. None of these can be dialyzed. They're very protein bound. So dialysis will not get rid of these. So let's start with the first one to market. Xarelto, 20 milligrams a day. There's a renal dose that's 15. Um, excretion is 66% renal, 33% liver. There is that renal dose. The peak uh, effect is in two to three hours. The half-life is seven to 14 hours. You'll see that almost all these drugs um, are very similar. Um, the next one is Apixaban. This is Eliquis. It's five milligrams twice a day. Um, now, now all of now all of these medications, like if even rivaroxaban, Zarelto, um, and Apixaban, if somebody has a PE uh, or a DVT, the dosing is a little bit different, um, and we'll get into that. So the excretion of Apixaban, 66% liver, 33% uh, renal, very very similar. The renal dosing is 2.5 milligrams BID. Peak two to three hours, similar half-life, seven to 14 hours. The next one is a doxaban, um, 60 milligrams, 30 milligrams, and even 15 milligrams. Creatinine clearances from anywhere from 15 to 95. If your creatinine clearance greater than 95, do not use this drug. The, the, the thromboembolic risk is high. It's as if you're not on the drug at all. Um, if you are more than 60 kilograms, you take 60. Uh, daily. If you're less than 60 kilograms, your dose is 30 daily. Renal dose is 30 for creatinine clearances, 15 to 50. Peak and half-life are exactly uh, the same. Now, it's very important to note that all factor 10A inhibitors reduce thromboembolic CVA by 67%, just like Coumadin. 67% reduction in uh, blood clots going from your heart to your brain and giving you a stroke. They also all reduce intracranial hemorrhage. So intracranial uh, or hemorrhagic CVAs compared to Coumadin, they have a 50% reduction. Um, and the thought process behind this is because they only inhibit uh, factor 10A, whereas Coumadin inhibits all those uh, factors. Um, so there's a slight reduction and they're slightly safer. Um, there's a slightly higher rates of GI bleeds. There's lower incidences of major bleeds. The problem with Coumadin is people are not in therapeutic range 
uh, as often as we'd like. Um, and if they're super therapeutic, then major bleeding can be a serious problem. Um, th there is a there is an all-cause mortality benefit with apixaban and edoxaban by about 10%, uh, but it's likely a class effect. The, the studies that kind of looked at the other medications didn't really um, look at uh, mortality, um, but, but apixaban and edoxaban did, and they found a 10% uh, reduction, but it's likely a class effect, so I'm not too worried about that. Um, so how do you reverse these drugs? Wait, before I show the slide, let me go back. How do you reverse these drugs? Let's start with antiplatelets. Anybody, just raise your hand. Okay, so antiplatelets. Basically, you have to just wait. Um, there's really no way to get rid of aspirin or Plavix or Berlint or any of these. You either wait uh, a certain amount of time, which we'll get into, um, or you infuse people with platelets. If their platelets are down below 15,000, or they're they're blocked and they're bleeding, you know, and uncontrollably. Either give them blood products or give them platelet infusion. Um, how, how do you reverse Coumadin? Anybody know? Right. I mean, everybody knows this is basic medicine. Um, if you need to reverse it immediately, you can use FFP. Um, if you need to reverse it over time, you can use vitamin K. Now, FFP. Um, I'll tell you that when it when FFP is infusing, their INR is one. Like if a patient needs to get a colonoscopy or needs to go to surgery, and their INR was three get a bunch of FFP, start infusing it, they can go to surgery while the FFP is infusing because they're fully uh, back to normal. Their RNR is one when they're getting it. Um, and then they come out of surgery and go back. Now, FFPs have a temporary effect. While they're infusing, your INR is one. Um, but as soon as they, as soon as you stop them, your INR bounces back up. So if a patient is super therapeutic with an INR 4.5, you give them FFPs, you know, their bleeding stops for a while, but then you check the next day and it's still like 2.8. Um, or like 3.5. Um, so it doesn't completely reverse it. It's a very temporary um, kind of short-acting effect. Vitamin K, now I really hate when people give vitamin K. Uh, if a patient comes into to the ER or into your office and their INR is 6 or 7 or, or, or 8 even, um, and they're not bleeding anywhere and you check a CBC and their, their, their hematocrit is 15, um, there's no reason to give them vitamin K. Just wait. Hold the next few doses of Coumadin. Check it again. It'll come down. It makes it very hard to get them back therapeutic when they get a one-time dose of vitamin K. Now, some people give two and a half, five, or ten milligrams. That's a lot of vitamin K, and it makes it really hard for us to get them back therapeutic. Plus, they might start thrombosing. Um, you got a patient with a PE, and they come in with an INR. The lab says greater than eight. You know, if they're not bleeding, just wait. Um, giving them 10 milligrams of vitamin K, they're going to start thrombosing. The PE is going to grow. I mean, all kinds of bad things can happen. So be very careful with that. Make sure you consult uh, cardiology or pulmonology or, or hematology um, for those kind of things. Um, but definitely don't just give people vitamin K or FFPs if they're not actually bleeding and you don't need to reverse it. Just just wait it out. Your body makes new vitamin K uh, every day. Um, dibigatran, how do you reverse dibigatran? It's kind of in a class on its own. Right, we talked about dialysis. You could definitely dialyze them. We talked about praxabind. Um, APCC, activated prothrombin complex concentrate. Rarely used, but it can be. Um, yeah, so those are those are basically the, the ways to reverse uh, dibigatran. What about the factor 10A inhibitors? Now, this is a new class, obviously. How do you reverse these? Right, you can wait. Uh, because most of them are have a shorter half life, they're not going to be there for days like Coumadin. You know, they're they they'll be out by today or tomorrow. Um, or you can use prothrombin complex concentrates. There's Kcentra, which has four cofactors. 
um, or bevelin, uh, which is three factors. Um, or some people use recombinant factor 7A, uh, which can help uh, reverse this. Um, and there are some new reversal agents uh, under development. They're, they're probably going to come to market soon. But most importantly, the most important way to stop bleeding is compress the bleeding site for a long time. Um, people come in for a blood draw, for a routine blood draw, and they bleed and bleed and bleed. And then we get called and they say, hey, you know, your patient's bleeding. You know, you guys did a cath and they're bleeding. Well, hold pressure. You need to hold pressure on, on some of these things for not just five minutes, you know, sometimes 40 minutes. Um, so please compress the site of bleed for as long as you can. Um, and, and the bleeding will ultimately stop. You just have to really compress it. Put ice on it. Ice actually helps coagulate blood um, and stop it faster. So um, a big question we always get asked, how do you convert from Coumadin to a NOAC? If somebody's on Coumadin, you want to put them on Xarelto, what do you do? So each one's a little bit different if you read their product inserts or the, what the FDA uh, approved. Basically, you stop the Coumadin. Once the INR is under 2.5, or, or some people say like it's 1.8 or 1.9, then you can start um, the NOAC. But but you, but each one has a slightly different uh uh, guideline just read the package inserts for details um, what if you're converting from NOAC to Coumadin somebody's on Xarelto you want to start them on Coumadin so like I said once again think of these as like uh, Lovenox how do you bridge back and forth from Lovenox so each one is also a little bit different please read the package insert don't take this as like you know the final word um, generally you reduce the dose of the NOAC and take Coumadin with it and once the INR is stable over two you can stop uh, the lower dose of the NOAC. So if, if there's Xarelto, you can decrease it to 15. If it's Elquis, you can reduce it to 2.5. Take the 2.5 with the Coumadin. So if it's if it's 2.5, um, take take the 2.5 uh, of Elquis with the Coumadin. Um, it's a lower dose. And then once the INR is stable and, and gets high enough, um, you can stop the uh, Eliquis and go just with the Coumadin. Um, the other thing that I will warn you, sudden discontinuation of NOx has been shown to increase uh, thrombosis. That actually happens uh, quite frequently. Um, uh, and it has been shown in these studies when they cross over. The person's on a NOx, they stop it, they cross over to Coumadin, suddenly uh, they, they have a thrombosis or a clot. So be very careful um, when you have to stop these. So, yeah, just be very careful when you suddenly discontinue these. Almost all the studies where they did the crossover, if you suddenly discontinue it, there was thrombosis and strokes. So, the biggest question we get uh, and consulted for is, what if a patient has coronary artery disease and atrial fibrillation? Should you be on triple therapy? Is basically what it's coming down to. Should you be on dual antiplatelet therapy for your new stents and anticoagulation for your AFib? Um, the answer is always yes, you should be on triple therapy. Um, the, the stents do need dual antiplatelet therapy, um, and the AFib does need a real anticoagulant. Otherwise, we'll have a stroke, and they work differently, obviously. Um, but also, I will say that the treatment strategy needs to be individualized. Um, what is worse? Is the AFib worse? Like, has the patient already had a stroke, or is the coronary artery disease old? Like, if they've been on aspirin and Plavix forever because of stents in 2015, you you can now stop the, the one of them. You can stop the Plavix and just leave them on aspirin and Xarelto. Um, are they currently in normal sinus rhythm? You know, if this patient's been in normal sinus rhythm for four years and, and they just have this history of AFib, um, you could probably get, you could probably weigh that 
uh, a little lighter. The AFib is not as dangerous currently. You know, maybe it was a lone AFib episode or a one-time episode. It's not as dangerous as his new stents. Um, sure, they should be on triple therapy, but if they can't or you're really worried about bleeding, um, then weigh that. Um, Plavix definitely causes less bleeding than, than a lot of the newer ones like the Effian and, and Berlinta. So if you're going to uh, put them on triple therapy, aspirin and Plavix should probably be your choice um, with Xarelto or Eliquis or Edoxaban or whatever. Um, definitely avoid Effian. That causes uh, you know major bleeds and we try not to use uh, Effian very much for various reasons. Um, Coumadin... Um, is highly suggested uh, in the, in these cases because it's easy to reverse. If you're worried about your patient or they've had GI bleeds in the past, if you put them on Coumadin, at least we can quickly reverse it um, if necessary. So if you had to pick one, um, and, and pretty soon this may be a moot point because almost all of them are going to have reversal agents soon, um, but if you had to pick one, Coumadin's easy to reverse. Um, Please make sure you put your patients on a PPI to decrease the chance of GI bleeding, um, especially with aspirin, obviously. Um, now, now I will warn you, GI bleeds don't happen overnight. You don't just put somebody on uh, aspirin and then tomorrow they have a GI bleed. You have to be on an NSAID for at least six to eight weeks before it um, thins your stomach lining and causes ulcers. Um, the newer trials with some of the newer stents do show that you might only need dual antiplatelet therapy uh, for just three to six months. Some people have just found four to eight weeks. Um, sometimes you can use a bare metal stent, uh, and especially in a big artery, like the bigger arteries, like a four millimeter artery or, or bigger stent, um, might not need as much antiplatelet therapy as like those two and a halves or 2.0s. Um, so definitely a lot of the newer trials are showing you might not need dual antiplatelet therapy for as long. The newer stents um, are showing um, that you might not need dual antiplatelet therapy for as long. Um, usually the, with the newer stents, you'll need to do three months for stable ischemic coronary disease, six if you received um, a stent. Um, but there's a lot of new, new stuff on this frontier, especially with the stents and the, the medications and newer trials. Um, there are really no easy answers for this, and if you call me, it's going to have to be highly individualized. It really depends on the patient, depends on the situation, what's worse, the AFib or the coronary artery disease or what other morbidities do they have. Um, there really are no real uh, good answers. We like to leave people on aspirin for as long as possible. Um, if so, if you, if you have to discontinue anything, um, please try to leave the patient on aspirin um, and, and stop the other agents uh, because it is the most effective uh, drug we have. Um, so the next question, any questions on that? I know there's not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know what the what the prison system here or their insurance says, but it but it but. Plavix or aspirin or, or the two together is a, is a good choice. Yeah, that shouldn't be a problem. Well, they can con consult cardiology and see. You have to consult your local cardiologist. I don't know what the local laws are. Okay, sure. Okay, so the next question we get a lot is when should you hold these medications before surgery? So if you know the half-life of a platelet, anybody remember it? We just talked about it. Right, 7 to 10 days. So the half-life of a platelet is 7 to 10 days. Uh, most antiplatelet agents you're going to have to hold 5 to 7 days. Um, a aspirin, uh, Plavix, you're going to have to hold. If you look at the FDA guidelines, Effiant 7 days, Berlinta 5 days. Um, Coumadin, you're going to have to 
hold seven to ten days, check INRs. Some surgeons will do surgery once it's under 1.7, some wait till it's under 1.5. It just kind of depends um, what you're comfortable with. Um, the no acts according to the FDA guidelines, and all of this is according to the FDA guidelines. Um, Pradaxa has to be held four days, Zarelto two to three days, Eliquis two days, and Cervesa one day, um, which is nice. So Cervesa kind of uh, comes off uh, rather quickly. Um, but to be on the safe side, if you're, if you're a primary care physician and a surgeon's calling you, um, as opposed to the cardiologist saying, hey, how long do we need to hold the aspirin and Plavix or the Zarelto or Pradaxa or you know, whatever it might be, um, if you say five to seven days, you you pretty much cover everything. With the exception of Coumadin, you might have to hold it a little bit longer. Just check their INRs. Um, now, if the patient has a DVT or a PE or they they have a mechanical valve, you do have to bridge them. You can't just hold the uh, Zarelto uh, or Coumadin and not bridge them. You know, if they have a mechanical valve and they're on Coumadin, you have to make sure that they're bridged with Lovenox. Um, if they have a DVT or PE, they need to be on Lovenox. An active DVT or PE, they need to be on that. Or if they're still in the treatment phase, you know, you can scan their legs, see if they still have the DVT. You can scan their chest, see if they still have the PE. Um, but if it's AFib um, and they're only on like Xarelto for AFib or Prodexa for AFib, there's no need to bridge them really. With those caveats that I uh, mentioned earlier, anytime you stop a NOAC, there is a slight higher chance of thrombosis because you know, there's like an abrupt stoppage of the medication. So there is this slight higher chance um, for thrombosis. So be careful uh, with that. So the other question we get is about prosthetic valves. You know, um, there's really it's really only Coumadin. None of those medications are approved in valves yet. In fact, most of them they tried and it didn't work. Um, so mechanical mitral valves, you all know, you want the INR to be between two and a half and three and a half. We try to aim for like three. Um, mechanical aortic valves, 2.5, you know, somewhere in that range, just just like AFib, two to three, and and, and you stay on aspirin when you have these valves. Um, and like I said, none of these newer drugs were approved for valves. Any questions on any of this? No. So I want to show you guys a picture. These are my four kids, and if any of you guys have little kids, you know. Um, that instantly something can change. So here they are sitting real nice and friendly. Next pictured, which is half a microsecond later. You know, this one's crying. He picked her up. This guy, I don't know what's going on with his face. They're all just like doing something different. And then this is a cute picture that I I uh, have. Um, do you guys have any questions whatsoever? This is a good time to ask. Anyways, here's, here's all the different ways you guys can uh, find me. Um, I'm available on all social media. I know you guys probably aren't looking for me down here to send patients to, um, but you know you can send your patients. I have a lot of patient education videos, not just medical education videos. If you go to my uh, YouTube channel, actually there, there's a whole list called "For Patients." Um, you can read, you can send your patients to that one. It's all about cholesterol, hypertension, you know, simple stuff, smoking cessation, um, and then I have a playlist called "For Doctors," which is really um, for doctors. I mean, it's stuff, uh, it's targeting physicians, interns, residents, cardiologists, um, emergency physicians. I got a lot of great topics here. Um, take a look at them. Well, anyways, that's all. If you want to come up and talk to me afterwards, uh, feel free. I've, I've, I've enjoyed my time here. You guys have awesome weather, uh, year round. I, I loved it. And I just want to thank you all for having me.